0: We are going to continue in our second part of a series we're doing on uh, justice and God's nature as the God of justice. I'll tell you a little story. I um, talked to my uh, son's football coach several weeks ago. I I shot him an email and I said, listen, I want to uh, help in any way I can. Whatever I can do this year to, to be a blessing and serve your football team, you just let me know. And so, uh, strangely, uh, and and I don't know for sure that he knows that I'm a minister, but apparently he might. Uh, He he goes, you know, I do have something I I want you to do. I want you to every um, Thursday, which is the last uh, last day that they practice every week. He said, I want you to come and give a a pep talk, a motivational pep talk to the football team. Well, I used to do that for a high school football team, and I used to come in. But that coach just said, "Just I want you to come in and preach the gospel to them." So I would tell them all they're going to hell every week, and they needed to get right with God if they wanted to win. That's one way to do it. Well, with the with the with the nine year olds, I, I can do a motivational pep talk, and and right now it's it's pretty uh, generic in terms of anything you know uh, powerful spiritually. But uh, we're working into it. But anyway, so. Uh, you know, from there he asked me to, to, to videotape the games and, and help scout and spot and where you're, where you're up in the in the top of the bleachers and you're looking down and you tell them on the sideline anything you see that might be going wrong or, hey, something needed to change. And so yesterday I showed up and he handed me a couple radios and said, hey, listen, I got technical difficulties. I need you to figure these out. And uh, so I'm over there with the radios and got the, you know, got the directions out and I'm trying to make these things work and... and uh, Here's the thing, my my son's team, they lost uh, yesterday, they were 0-2 now, and uh, we hadn't scored a touchdown dating back to last year in seven games. And I think, here's what I think happened to me. I went home, and I began to study youth football offense on the internet, and I think what's happened to me is my sense of justice, writing that which is wrong, has been... It's, it's been tweaked as I've been studying justice. I want to tell you something. I could install an offense that I think would score a touchdown. I know I'm not the football coach, and I'm not going to say anything to him. I won't. But my sense of justice calls me to figure that out. Here's what I realized. I, I, I went through and I, and I studied every verse in the Bible uh, that says the word justice. Uh, I looked at every one of them. And... Um, and I as is the case with me and so many things that i that I look at in the scripture, uh, I realize that I do not have a biblical paradigm of god 's justice. Um, I have a, a Western mentality on justice, but a biblical paradigm on justice de- makes some demands. Uh, if we were going to, all, if, all, if the entire church in, in, in our nation embraced a biblical paradigm of justice, it would make some demands upon us in terms of what we say that we uh, believe in, in terms of obviously politics and, and uh, the way we live our lives. And going through the scriptures and reading every verse in the Bible on justice really uh, It shifted some thoughts in my mind. Um, I wanna talk to this morning and define justice and talk about who Jesus is as the one that's commissioned to bring about the Lord's justice. But in the, in the coming weeks, I want to talk about some of these justice issues that the Bible talks about because the scripture is not silent on things like uh, fatherlessness and the orphans. And it's not silent on things like uh, widows and the church's role in taking care of widows. And it's not silence on silent on things like immigration and the way that God thinks about immigration. And if you read the verses, you will be astounded uh, what the Bible says and what God says uh, along these lines. In fact, he says a lot about his attitude towards anyone who's oppressed and, and his attitude toward the oppressor. And uh, I come to realize that justice is not, um, we, we have tended um, in the house of prayer to make justice primarily about the issue of abortion. And I, I fully believe the issue of abortion falls in that, it's part of, but it's a much broader thing, the issue of justice is a much broader thing, than simply the the issue of abortion, though abortion is a massive issue, uh, but justice is a, the, I mean it's in some ways, the broadest issue, if you can think of the God, who establishes his throne, on righteousness and justice, surely justice, is a massive platform, and uh and I'm just, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm staring at a few things and I'm letting the Lord speak to me and I'm touched over, uh, and as is always the case with me, I always get touched over how little I really know and, and, and what the Bible actually says, but I'm touched over this issue once again. I'm, I'm sure I say something like that similar, uh, something similar to that regularly, but I, does the Bible ever do that to you? Does the Bible ever tell you, hey, you don't know what you're talking about? Because to me, it's like the more I read this book, the more it's like it's not that the Bible changes, but all of a sudden I see stuff that I never saw before, and I go, "Wow! I don't know what I, I don't know what I'm talking about." This book is it's like alive, isn't that a strange thing? The Word is alive, and uh, it's fascinating to me how uh, you can read. I've been reading the Bible. Uh, I've been saved um, just about 20 years, and I've been reading the Bible faithfully nearly daily for 20 years, studying it uh, real hard for the last five years. I mean, just studying, and I am stunned at the life and the truth that's in the scripture and how it has the ability to shift uh, your heart and your paradigm in an instant, because truth is powerful. It it divides uh, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So anyway... Justice. Let's talk about it. Let's define it a little bit. Um, I came up with a Humphrey definition of it. I said this, justice is a judgment against wickedness. It's a judgment against wickedness unto a release of righteousness and equity. It's a judgment against wickedness so that God can release righteousness and equity or fairness. And, uh, you know, I realize that we've, this image of, um, anybody, anybody ever heard the, the phrase, justice is blind? Anybody ever heard that? We get that from the, the uh, image we have of a, a woman, we call her Lady Justice. She's wearing a blindfold and holding scales in one hand and a sword in the other. Anybody know what that woman is? That's a Greek goddess called Justitia. And uh, we see her in many of our justice buildings, I know I don't like that so much, <laughs> that this is a Greek goddess that we get our main image of what justice is from, and the idea that she's giving us is that justice is impartial, it's blind, and uh, it, to me, the scales and the, the blindness, it speaks of a cold uh, way that justice is to be appropriated, a, a cold appropriation of justice that the the rule of law is preeminent and therefore anything that breaks or or goes against the hard line of the law therefore will be uh, brought in line and judgment will be brought against it now i am all for god establishing righteousness but I want to say biblical justice has a completely different flavor than our uh, social mentalities of what justice is or even what we've gotten from lady justice. In fact, I think if you read the scriptures, you'll find that lady justice and justice is blind and this cold, you know, picture of, you know, scales and a sword and all that has, it's it's really uh, completely opposite of who God is as the God of justice. And I began to... To realize that God, he doesn't coldly legislate justice. He doesn't do it with, hey, you're out of line, you know, bring you back in line. He has a mentality within him where he actually seeks those who have been oppressed so he can release justice for them. He actually looks for the one who has been beaten and bruised and abused, who is oppressed. The eyes of the Lord, I think, are upon the defrauded. He is actually looking so that he can enact justice for them. And And he tells us biblically over and over and over and over, seek to do justice, seek to do it. He admonishes rulers, establish justice in the gate. The Bible says God loves justice. He loves this why not so he can coldly legislate and bring you know the hammer down on some people but because his heart oozes with this thing called compassion and justice and compassion or justice and mercy are two sides of the exact same coin as it relates to the Lord the Lord looks for the one who is in need of compassion why so he can bring justice and what he wants to do is he wants to remove everything that's causing oppression unto a full release of his mercy and righteousness to the one that's oppressed. And so when God is talking about justice, he's not simply talking about a cold legislation of bringing people into line. When God is talking about justice, he's talking about a manifestation of his very nature and a release of his attributes and his heart on behalf of the one that's downtrodden. Isaiah 1, verse 17, it says this. He goes, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. I, man, some of these justice verses got me a little stirred up because I go, wow, what if, this is, what, what if this is what we did? What if we learned to do good, we sought after justice, and to me, that's intercession, Crying out for justice. And, and then we, we found the oppressors and we rebuked them all. <laughs> to start rebuking oppressors. And, and, and then we found orphans and, and we just defended them. And we gathered all the widows together and we cared for them. That's what James calls pure and undefiled religion. <laughs> No wonder he says, "My throne is established on righteousness and justice, equity to all the oppressed." I was in Herrenhut, Germany, a few years ago, uh, where the Moravians had established a 120-year prayer meeting in in watches, where they continued night and day for 120 years. Uh, two would come and two would go, and they would just go hour hour to hour, and they would just they kept this thing going for 120 years. And it's from it's from that place that the modern. Uh, protestant missions movement was birthed and uh and i was there and i was taking a tour of the of the grounds and i was there and their their church and their uh facility and their prayer chapel and uh their um their prayer tower and there's this massive building if you go out the back of the of the main uh church building seats about a thousand if you go out the back of that and you look to the left it was this gigantic building that was clearly a part of the same architecture uh, as the, the original stuff. And, and now it's got businesses and things in it. And I said, what was that? What's that right there? And they said, oh, that's the widow's house. And I said, oh, really? Well, like, why? What gives? I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm a little dull. And they said, well, the, the Moravians, and, and you'll know the story, but they used to pack, as missionaries, they would pack all their uh, belongings into a, uh, into a casket, the men that were married and the men that were single, and they would go and many would leave widows, they, they would go and die on the mission field and their wives would become widows, and they, were, they said, let's win for the, the lamb, the reward for his suffering, and so the widows would be then taken care of by the church there, and they had a house. They said that house was the place where the hottest prayer meetings would take place and the visitations of the Spirit because the widows were following the biblical um, you know, guidelines that Paul gave to Timothy, and the widows all became intercessors for the calls of the gospel. And, and a bunch of their uh, supply of financially was all about taking care of the widows. And I just, you know, I was, I remember when I, that I first uh, encountered that, it pierced me. And I said, Lord, give us uh, a picture of how we can minister to widows. How do we do this? Because there's such a biblical, there's such weight on it biblically, it's such a biblical mandate for it. And uh, I remember when my wife and I were, were moving about a year and a half after that, a year, a year and a half after that. And, and we said, Lord, would you just give us a, a, a widow that we could care for somehow? And do you know the Lord moved us right in next to a lady who is a widow and, and, and we have a little relationship with her and my wife and boys and we'll carry cookies and things and go over on her birthday and talk to her. And he gave us the opportunity to minister to her. I think he answered that prayer so easily because he cares of the, about, seriously cares about the issues of justice. And it's a manifestation of his heart. And I think sometimes we can get into uh, our church flow, manifestation of Western churchianity, life of doing that, and we forget the weight, you know, what Jesus called the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy, righteousness. And so um, I think a lot of folks, just I'm trying to define justice, I'm putting some handles on it for us. I think a lot of us we think of God's justice and God's mercy in opposition to one another, yet biblically, what you'll find is justice and mercy flow together in concert. They are in sync with one another. In other words, we might think this, when God is bringing justice, he's judging, and where's the action of mercy? But it doesn't work like that. It's like this. God brings justice for the oppressed by bringing judgment Upon wickedness or darkness, which there in turn releases mercy to the one that has been oppressed. So when God's moving in justice, He's simultaneously moving in mercy. He's doing both at the same time. It's like I said, they're the the opposite sides of the same coin. When God moves in justice, there's always an activity of mercy. Even this, when God moves in a judgment event that is justice uh, in in, in the earth, when he brings judgment that that actually um, cuts off the wicked, the Bible says in Isaiah that when his judgments are in the earth, the people learn righteousness, and the greatest mercy he can do to a wayward planet, it is to instruct him in the ways of righteousness. So even in that level where God brings judgment events in the earth, he's still releasing mercy and that package of judgment and mercy together, it's called justice. It's called justice. This is what his throne is established on. His throne is established on judgment and mercy, judgment against wickedness and mercy to the oppressed. Judgment against darkness, and mercy to the one that's in need of deliverance. And so we've said it this way many times before, but we say, so justice to the unsaved is salvation. It's a judgment against unbelief, and a release of mercy, and bringing the person to salvation. Uh, Justice to the one that's sick is healing. It's a judgment against the sickness, and a release of mercy to bring them back to health. And so justice has this two-fold, I mean, if you can get around this, this is powerful. It has this two-fold power punch of the Lord, the judgment of God and him taking, uh, really taking no prisoners against darkness, judgment with vindication against darkness, and simultaneously the release of mercy. When I, when I started getting around the God who's, who loves justice, who establishes throne on justice, who wants to do justice... I started realizing, man, when we pray night and day, and it says he will bring justice speedily, we have stumbled into something we don't really get, but he has put us in this position to pray night and day like Luke 18 says. It says he will release justice in the earth, and we have stumbled into this place where we are going to see the the radical activities of God judging darkness and the, the, the radical supernatural activities of God releasing mercy. We're going to see these both, these these like power twins release justice is going to be established in the earth and I look at his his admonitions biblical admonitions to believers to leaders and he never leaves out this issue of justice judge darkness and release compassion judge wickedness and release mercy why because he's the God of justice Beloved, this is something, if we're in Christ, this courses through our, our veins. It has to. We can't be cold to the poor and the needy of the earth. We can't have the mentality, well, if they're not Americans. I mean, we should buy American first. Really? Because he doesn't see like that. God's not an American. I don't, I'm not trying to get political on you, but really, some of our mentalities, are, they're just off. He works justice for all who are oppressed. All who are oppressed, the cries of the prisoner are in his ears. He comes down off his throne to hear the cries of the prisoners. You know, I was uh, when I first started in ministry. I, I did a, a homeless ministry for about nine months. Uh, in Woodruff Park, right there next to Georgia State University. That's where I was going to school, and I would go to my classes, and I would come over, and I would sit in the park half the day, and I'd sit with uh, you know, a bunch of homeless men, and we would just talk about Jesus, and I would try to encourage them, and, and we ended up bringing them back to church. And We would drive down you know, 35, 40 minutes to, to, to get a crew of guys, and we'd bring them to church on Sunday morning and Sunday nights, and, and we'd begin to have meals, and, and we'd begin to establish this ministry of, of, of outreach, this mercy ministry, trying to see justice. Brought to these to these homeless men, the judgment of wickedness and darkness, and 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 the release of mercy and light in their life. We we were not that successful. We continued to minister for quite some time. Yet in in nine months of ministry, and then really it was about three years, we never got one of the guys to come off the street. Not one. We got one that ended up getting a job and moving in with a family, and and it was those stinking cigarettes, he just wouldn't get rid of the cigarettes, and it brought him right back to his addiction, about two and a half years later, went right back on the street, and uh, and so we, we you know, I was, I was confounded over it, and I said, Lord, I've done what you're, you're you know, the scripture says, I'm reaching out to the poor, and, and one of the things we found was in that season of ministry, we found that many, many of those guys, in fact, the vast majority of them had an addiction, probably about 98% of them had an addiction, Uh, And most of them were were addicted to crack. Not every guy that's a homeless guy or or gal is uh, addicted to something in America. But our experience in Atlanta, that's what it was. was The vast majority were addicted. And the Lord put this truth in me at that time. He said, you know, you um, want to reach the poor, but you're having a hard time finding them. I said, what do you mean I'm I'm spending hours and hours and hours a day with guys that are homeless? He said, yeah, but they could be making... He said, "Uh, they might make my uh, paraphrase, the idea is they might panhandle 30 to $40,000 a year and spend it on their addiction. He goes, they're poor stewards, but they're not the poor of the earth. I realize that sometimes that the, the, the lines become gray in America when, you know, we all we all have a change in our change dish in our cars and, and we have a hard time finding the poor of the earth. Sometimes we don't, we don't know what that really looks like. And so, um, when I heard somebody begin to talk about the poor as the poor of the earth, then I realized, wow, there is a much greater scale of poverty in other places that I have no, no concept of. Now, there are ministries for sure that have gotten in those nooks and crannies in the United States and reached the poor in our nation, and I, man, I'm all for that, and I want to support those. We, we love to support um, works that, that minister to the poor in our nation, but uh, there's, a, there's a whole other uh, plate of people that need ministry, a whole other crowd that uh, know nothing of uh, what it means to be homeless in America. And they're far more poor and, and uh, in need than, say, um, some of the ones that we, that we might come into contact with. That might not be a popular thing for me to say, but it's, it's uh, true nonetheless. All right. I want to look at uh, Psalm 146. Let's flip over there. Still talking about a biblical mentality of justice. I want to establish a few thoughts biblically for us. Try not to preach too much. Try to teach a little bit more. Get us through this. Psalm 146, verse 6, talking about God. God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in him. Who keeps faith forever. Who executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Looking at that, there's several different issues that he identifies as how he works justice. Food to the hungry. Liberating those who are unjustly bound. That's setting the prisoners free. Those who are unjustly bound. You could spiritualize it or make it natural either way. Opening the eyes of the blind. Spiritual or or natural, either way, healing or revelation, encouraging the discourage the discouraged and depressed, those that are bowed down. That's the discouraged and the depressed. The one who actually brings encouragement to the guy that's bowed down, that's depressed, he releases a, a encouragement to the heart. Something as simple as that is an activity of justice. Released, God bringing hope is justice. Protecting foreigners protecting foreigners. That's what it says. Supporting the fatherless, supporting the widow and thwarting wickedness. This is where I'm getting my mentalities of what justice is from the scripture. It's pretty, pretty clear. Zechariah 7, 9, I'll just read it to you. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true justice. And I believe he goes to define it. He goes, show mercy and compassion to Everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. And so it just works this way. True justice shows mercy and compassion. And it looks out for the fatherless, the alien, the widow and the poor. Proverbs 2, it tells us this, that if we will cry out for understanding... And we will seek for us for hidden treasure, buried treasure. Go after us for silver and for gold. We will find wisdom and understanding, and we will find the knowledge of God. And then it goes on to say this, that you will understand righteousness and justice. And here's what I'm realizing. As we, as we desire and determine to comprehend who God is. And that's the main function and flow of our instruction and of our pursuit. We want to know the Lord. We want intimacy with God. As we go this direction into intimacy with God, you can't help it. You'll bump into justice. If you seek God, he will give you understanding of justice. If you seek to know him, you can't get around the issues of justice. And, uh, this thing is landing on me right now as we're, as we're uh, looking at this presidential election because, you know, there's, there's sort of uh, standard party lines that Christians will tend to uh, ally themselves with based on, you know, one or two points. But I'm realizing that justice in the earth doesn't have anything to do with a political party, Justice in the earth has everything to do with the activity of the release of the kingdom of God on the planet. And Proverbs tells us this. It says, many men will try to get the king's favor, but only the Lord can release justice. I thought that was an interesting verse. Many men will try to get, they'll schmooze and they will try to rub shoulders and rub elbows with people that are in positions of power to make you know, decisions to happen their way. Many men will try to get the king's favor but only the Lord can release justice for a man. That's what it says. Proverbs 29. It's one, To me, it's, it's one of these things that our paradigm has to shift, and I think that we're in this great place for it to be able to shift because we're giving ourselves to night and day crying out for the Lord to release justice, and we can come to this comprehension that, hey, justice is this broad issue that has to do with a lot of things that are not necessarily along political lines, and the issues to seeing justice accomplished in the earth have everything to do with Asking the Lord to release his kingdom on the planet. Asking God to release his nature in the earth. Justice is not simply about a a blind or cold activity of legislation. It is about the manifestation of the heart of God. That's what I'm trying to get. The manifestation of the heart of God onto the planet. The compassionate heart of God looking out for the orphan. The compassionate heart of God giving care. For the widow, the compassionate heart of God, thinking about the poor and thinking about the, the foreigner. Now, it, with that in mind, turn over with me to Hosea chapter 2. I'm going to try to land this direction. Hosea 2. What I'm saying is this, is if we seek the Lord, you can't sidestep the issues of justice. And if you run into the issues of justice, you end up running into these other issues immigration f- orphans widows poor of the earth you have to you can't you can't get around it this is who God is this is who he is all right hosea 2 verse 19 one of our favorite verses the lord giving us the bridal paradigm and he says this he says i will betroth you to me forever yes I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And therein, he gives us six terms of our uh, covenant of marriage with the Lord. He gives us six terms of it, beginning with forever, being eternal. And he goes through them, righteousness and justice, loving kindness, mercy, faithfulness. He goes, ultimately, you're going to come into the knowledge of God. So he gives us these six terms of our betrothal, but each one of those terms is actually a facet of his nature. What he does is he gives us the the terms of our marriage to him, but he says, but he's doing it out of uh, issues that are who he is. He establishes his covenant with us based on the knowledge of himself to us, and that's why he, he lands it with, "and you shall know the Lord." Because if we're betrothed and joined to him in these issues, he's saying, "I am taking you into one of the attributes of my heart with each one of these issues that I am laying out before you." And so when he says, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, he's not simply giving us terms, he's actually giving us attributes of his heart. And so the foundation of his kingdom is established on righteousness and justice because the reality is the attributes of his heart are righteousness and justice. And therefore, the activity of who he is in the earth and what he manifests among people is righteousness. Righteousness and justice. It's the foundation of his throne, and it's the foundation of his marriage. And in other words, it's the foundation of his interactions with people, righteousness and justice. And I think that the message that he gave that Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, and that you've left out justice and mercy. I think, see, I feel that weighing on me right now because I feel like the Lord is calling his people right now to arise into this, awake is the better term, awake into this, that he is a God that wants to release justice and none of these things are going on his ear in a deaf way. He hears and comprehends all the issues of injustice in the earth and he wants his people to awake to whom he is, who he is as a God of justice. And so this attribute of of justice in the heart of God and the nature of God, it burns in him. He's a burning God of desire and love, and he sets up the marriage and his union with people on this issue of justice, compassion to the oppressed, and judgment against wickedness. And he calls us into partnership with him in it. And that's the whole point. He goes, I'm betrothing you to me in justice. What's he looking for? A comparable partner who will partner with his heart in the issues of justice, bringing compassion and mercy to everyone who's oppressed and going after wickedness and darkness and bringing judgment against that. And I look at this and I say, this is a stunning journey. This is an incredible thing that God would would call us into. And the idea that he's called us to to even a 40-day fast where we focus on justice issues. There's power on that. And Jesus is the one who's burning for these issues and he wants us to partner with him in it. All right, final verse. Turn over with me to Isaiah 42. I'm sort of just trying to lay the platter out. I'm sort of just trying to give us a little bit of the menu. And ready us to go hard after these things for 40 days. Because we're not just going after issues. We're going after partnership with the heart of the bridegroom God who burns in justice. And when we go there... We are in ah, we are in uh, the eye of the storm, but it's a it's a beautiful and terrible thing. I mean, we are in the middle of this God who wants to do this. He wants to break darkness and release mercy. And I look at the issues in our nation right now, and I look at the perversion that's binding people. Let me tell you something. It's the very last. Uh, activity of God's heart to actually bring the judgment against individuals he's mostly trying to bring judgment against the wickedness that's controlling them the darkness that's controlling them when they, when they in, a, in, a, in an ultimate way when they rejected God then, then the judgments of God come against individuals that does happen but he is mostly trying to liberate people from darkness anything that hinders love and that's justice and look at Isaiah 42, and I'll land it here, verse 1. It says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I just love that verse. I just love that. That's, that's just one of my favorite verses. I've got about a 1,000 of them, but that's one of them. It says, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice, to the Gentiles or to the nations. He's gonna establish justice in all the earth is the idea. And then verse two, it says, he will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth or as another version says, justice in faithfulness or justice in truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. This is a powerful group of scriptures. Several thoughts I want to draw out. Verse one, God says, I have chosen Jesus. Behold, look who I've chosen. He's my elect one. He goes, I delight in him. And he goes, and the idea is, and I delight in his mission. He goes, my soul delights in him. I take pleasure in him. And I delight in his mission. And his mission is, he'll bring forth justice in the nations. Jesus Christ is the one commissioned by the father to establish justice in all the earth. It's a major facet of his job description. We think of Jesus, the son of God, co-equal with God, the one who shed his blood and and, and died on the cross for us and has forgiven us and and, 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 I mean, our, our wonderful savior, our bridegroom whom we love, but we almost don't get this point that a major point one of his job description from the eternal father is establishing justice Globally, he is going to establish justice all over the earth. And that's what Isaiah 42 is telling us. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Verse 2, it gives us a little bit of information on how he's going to do it. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. That is specifically talking about this. It's talking about one who gets into arguments and begins to rail on another trying to get his point heard the idea is this jesus doesn't have to argue about this matter at all <laughs> he stands as the god of justice commissioned by the father to establish justice in the earth and he's confident there's not a conversation to be had injustice will not prevail and the justice of God will prevail. He's not going to argue. He's not going to fight with you. He's not going to raise his voice in the street. He's, it's the picture of Jesus standing in quiet confidence with his mission established by the Father and going to come to pass. It's a powerful image. And then he says, a bruised reed he will not break And smoking flax, he will not quench. It's talking about a reed that's been pinched in the middle and is bending over, but it's not fully snapped. And the flax that's smoking, it may not even have a visible spark on it. And the idea is this. This one who doesn't have to argue his point about bringing justice to pass, he's actually concerned with the one that's been abused. He's actually concerned with the one whose fire has almost got out. He looks at the at the at the bruised reed and he says, You are bent over. He goes, I'm not come, I'm come to bring justice. I'm not come to break you. I'm come to fix it. I'm come to make it right. A bruised reed he will not break. He's actually concerned, the idea is, he's actually concerned with the abused of the earth, with the bruised of the earth. He's actually concerned with a compassionate heart with the ones who have gone through massive troubles and issues. He doesn't stand as the God of justice, just ready to slash and burn and break everything and start all over. He goes, no, I will bring healing. To the bruised one. And to the one that's the smoking flax, he goes, I don't put that out. He, it's the idea of this. You know what it's the idea? Of? It's the idea of the righteous who had a fire burning brightly in them. And so, there's been an onslaught against them. And there's no fire anymore. It's just a. You know, have you ever been that place? Come on, I've been there. And the fire is, is I mean, it's dim. And it's just smoking now, just barely smoking. He goes, that one. Oh, no, I'm, I'm actually con- concerned about that one. He goes, I am the God of justice and I am concerned for the abused and I'm compassionate toward the one that's been hurt. I don't put out smoking flaxes and I don't break bruised reeds. I strengthen bruised reeds and I breathe on smoking flaxes so they're fiery again. And That's who he is. And so when we get to partner with his heart, this is what we're getting into. When we are the ones that cry out to God night and day for justice, we're getting into the God that loves the weak, he loves the oppressed, and he wants to bring about justice on their behalf. That's what we're getting into. This is no minor issue. It's a weightier matter of the law. And this is the way he thinks. And this is who he is as the God of justice. Mercy and judgment. Compassion to those that need it. And he brings retribution on everything that hinders love. And when we partner with his heart in this, beloved. This is powerful. He doesn't have to cry out. He knows who he is. He's confident. It's compassionate. And then he says in verse three, he will bring forth justice in truth. You know what I'm finding? There's a lot of people that cry out and they say, Justice, 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 especially in political circles. Justice, justice, justice. But you know what? There's one lawgiver. And he knows what justice in truth is. See, the Bible talks about people that pervert justice for a bribe. Do you know what perverting justice for a bribe really is? It's this. If you'll pay me, I'll do, you know, I'll overlook injustices here and focus on them over there. It sounds like political lobbying. The reason it sounds like it, because that's what it is. (laughs) Perverted justice is if I take money And I don't do justice on that which I'm seeing. He goes, you're perverting justice for a bribe. The Lord says those that do it are cursed. Jesus goes, I'm not into any of that. He goes, I'm going to bring forth justice in truth. I promise you, beloved, when Jesus establishes justice, it will not look the way we think it looks. I'm telling you, there's a massive paradigm shift that we've got to get. We've got to find out who he is as the, the compassionate one that doesn't break Bruce reeds. And we've got to find out who he is as the one that is the God of justice who will not let any injustice go without vindication. Look at verse 4. See, this is where the intercessors, this is the one the intercessors gotta read. This is the one that I've got to read. Verse 4 He will not fail. He will not fail. I can tell you for sure abortion will be overturned. He will not fail. Same-sex marriage will be stopped. Why? He will not fail. The poor of the earth, they will be fed and provided for because he won't fail. The foreigner will be given the justice. The Bible says, the justice do them. Why? He won't fail. The fatherless, they'll be set. The solitary will be set in families. How come? Because the God of justice will not fail. And I love it. And he says, and he will not be discouraged. (laughs) He will not fail nor be discouraged. And I thought about how many times have I prayed over issues. I remember praying over the issue of human trafficking. I tell you, human trafficking, its back will be broken. Why? Because he will not fail. But I can remember praying over it and just getting the images of all the, the, the little girls that are that are in it tonight. And getting so discouraged over it and just getting weighed down in it. Well, let me tell you something. He is not discouraged. And he will not be discouraged. So what the Bible says. He will not be discouraged. Why? Because he knows he's not going to fail. till he has established justice in the earth. This is what we get to partner with. This is who we get to love. This is who we get to marry. We're betrothed in justice. This is an awesome, powerful opportunity that we have, I mean, the dignity and the glory of humanity that we could partner with the God of justice until even this, he's going to set us on his throne in the next age and give us the, the same promise his father gave him, that we rule the nations with him, establishing justice. This is a big issue to his heart. And justice will finally be established when Jesus rules the globe. He's going to give us justice in this age, and He's going to establish it globally in the age to come. He will not fail. And along the way, He's never discouraged. That's a word to my heart as an intercessor. Because how many times have I prayed the same prayer? And it doesn't look like it's happening. Listen, beloved intercessor, He is not discouraged. He's not discouraged. And I've had to touch that even this week. God's not discouraged. You don't need to be. You need to get into his vantage point. See it from his vantage point. Because he's looking at a whole different thing than you're looking at. He will not fail and he will not be discouraged. And that's why it says, wait patiently for him. He will establish justice. We can wait patiently because he's not going to fail. Good, let's just stand. Lord, we want to wait patiently. We want to partner with your heart. We want to know who you are and what this issue of justice even means. You've established your, your throne on it. You've established our marriage on it. We need to comprehend biblically what this is. What is justice? What is Compassion and judgment. What does that even look like, God? What is justice and truth? God, I pray that we'd have a heart for the widow, for the orphan, for the poor of the earth. God, for the foreigner. God, I pray these things would pierce us just like they pierce you. God I pray that true justice would be established in our nation that justice would no longer be perverted and God that revelation would rest on us to comprehend whom you are who you are is the God of justice God of justice you love mercy and you hate wickedness